Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. I am Henry VIII, I am. And I am Henry's cat. <laughs> Excellent stuff. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. How are you? I am grand. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all. Thank you very much. Not bad at all. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Arm Clash. We conclude the third, yeah, that'll do, clash in our Arm Clash Goes to the Movie season today. So last week I did the soundtrack to The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Kev, what are you doing today? So this week we will be uh, going through the soundtrack to The Godfather. Brilliant stuff. Uh, and yeah, I chose these because, well, they're just two dead good soundtracks from two dead good movies. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before that, however, Kev, it is your pick for Video Killed the Radio Star. So yeah, this week my selection is uh, the video for Leave Before the Lights Come On by Arctic Monkeys. And the reason I selected this is so particularly early Arctic Monkeys, they their videos had a number of actors in them. So Stephen Graham has been in a few, yep. few of their videos. And in this one, we've got Paddy Considine and uh, Kate Ashfield starring in it. And I think the, mm. the reason I chose this was because it's, Obviously, we're on our movie season, and I thought I thought it was a really cinematic video, which is acted so well Definitely. because it tell the story. You don't require any speak, any dialogue, or anything like that. You you know exactly what's going on through the the acting of the actors. They're doing their job very well. Some great face acting by both of them. Paddy Constantine's great. He is great. I mean, anyone who's ever seen Dead Man's Shoes, um, <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> He, he is an intense man in that film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I know how much you like Shane Meadows anyway, so. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, and this, this is um, a brilliant sort of vignette, and the song is a, is a belter. Yeah, it is. So I'd never seen the video before. So, again, thank you for, for bringing it to my attention. So it's directed by John Hardwick. And, yeah, as Kev said, it's got two very, very good actors in it both of whom have featured in at least one of the films from Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy. And it starts off, so Kate Ashfield is on top of a building. She's about to jump off it. She drops her shoe as Paddy Considine is walking past. He sees her about to jump, legs it up to the top of the building, puts out his arm to save her. She embraces him. They go for a coffee, and it sort of immediately becomes apparent that she has formed an attachment to him, that he is somewhat reluctant to reciprocate. She tries to kiss him, he so shows her his wedding ring. He's entirely reasonable throughout, says, wish you luck. We didn't say it, but you know, you can see that's what he's saying, wish you luck. Mm -hmm. He walks out. Then she starts following him down the street and jumps on his back in a playful way. He doesn't take kindly to that, walks off again. So she goes the other way around the block and then starts attacking him, basically, at which point he puts her up against uh, a fence, walks off, doesn't do anything further, and then she goes back to the top of the same building, legs it back to the top of the same building, stands in the same place, and again she purposely drops the same shoe in front of, well, Matt Helders, who's the drummer from Arctic Monkeys, and that implies that the same events are going to repeat cyclically. And it's really good. I mean, it's it, it's quite telegraphed, but it's a music video. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's, yeah. it's not a it's not a Hollywood art house film, but it's got a real emotional weight to it. Like I said, I think both Paddy Considine and Kate Ashfield are great at conveying all that emotion without saying a word. It's all in the body language, all in the face. Yeah, and Paddy Considine does angry well. Oh God, he does. <laughs> he, as I said, he's an intense man when he needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, one I've never seen before and one that I'm very pleased to have seen. And like you said, a really good song too. Yeah, it's a personal favourite of mine, uh, that song as well. So, you know, any excuse to to listen to it is is always good. And it's a cracking video as well. It is. I I'm surprised we are yet to do any Arctic Monkeys on Album Clash, I have to say. 
I'm sure it will come up. Absolutely, as am I. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Well done. Okay, shall we start talking about The Godfather then? Yeah, let's. Off you go. Okay, so The Godfather soundtrack, obviously from the film of the same name, was released in 1972 by uh, Paramount Records and was composed by Nino Rota and conducted by Carlo Savina. It is largely instrumental, apart from one song, which um, is sung by Al Martino, which we will get into. And as as we spoke about last week, uh, the score itself was nominated for an Academy Award. However, the nomination was withdrawn um, after it was determined that the love theme uh, was essentially a rewritten version of Nino Rota's music from the 1958 film Fortunella and therefore was ineligible for submission. Yeah, which I think's harsh. So they basically excluded it on a technicality that, oh, this is best original score. Well, yeah, it's still an original score. Firstly, he wrote it in the first place. Secondly, it's literally just the melody that is lifted from the main love theme. We'll obviously get onto it. It's a re-recording. This version is a lot slower. It's a lot more emotive. And fuck off, frankly, the Academy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, as we spoke about last week, you've you've already got some problematic stuff in your in your past. Exactly. Quite. So I will give you some background. Francis Ford Coppola, the uh, film's director, hired Nino Rota to create the score for the film, including the main theme, which was Speak Softly Love. Coppola flew to Rome with a copy of the film, which Rota obviously then watched and created the score accordingly. And Rota, very similar to sort of Morricone's ethos and way of working, wanted the music to relate to the situations and characters in the film. And that that's very much, you ha- you do have themes that are repeated throughout and um, speak to the different situations, different characters that, yeah. that are shown on screen at that time. Very much so. And it is, as we said, it is largely a new new soundtrack. It's entirely a new soundtrack. I'm sorry, I'm not having this well, largely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So most of the music was new for the soundtrack. No, all of the music was new. <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna go on. Sorry, carry on. But um, the main the main theme, the Godfather Waltz, also incorporated elements of Jean Sibelis' uh, Symphony Number no. One as well. So there's just something I want to come back to what you said about yeah, Francis Ford Coppola gave Nina Rota a, a copy of the film, and then Nina Rota composed a score around that. It's just an interesting contrast to what we said last week. And this is probably the more conventional way, if you like, that film score Mm -hmm. is developed. So whereas Sergio Leone and Ennio Morricone worked together to create the film and soundtrack as one, this was very much, here's my film, write the score around it. And I would say that whilst they're very different methods, both are equally effective in the way they do, as you said, complete the picture of the characters that each Mm -hmm. motif represents if that makes sense so the film was also produced by paramount and the one of the executives it felt that the score was too highbrow (laughs) and didn't want it to be used so what the hell did he want no idea like I don't know what what he had in his mind, but uh, Coppola intervened and said, basically, you need to use this Mm. because he felt that the music gave it an authenticity, gave it a proper Italian Italian feel. Using an Italian to create Italian music is probably a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to go with. Absolutely. (laughs) And additionally, Coppola's father, Carmine, uh, created some additional music for the film. So some of the music played by the band in the opening wedding scene is is an original composition from Francis Ford Coppola's dad as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Uh, by the way, I, I love the fact that Francis Ford Coppola's dad's called Carmine because he, in my mind, is now a character from The Sopranos. Meets <laughs> um, a sticky end after um, a failed deal. <laughs> exactly. With New York, obviously. <laughs> So that's all I've got on sort of background. Do you have anything that you wish to add? No, no, I think you've covered it all that I've seen. 
again, there's not a great deal out there. No, there's there's not a huge amount. Okay, so Tim, how did you first come across the soundtrack? So I first saw The Godfather. I don't know, twenty years ago, perhaps. It was. It would have been when I was at uni, and to be, I probably watched it with you actually. Probably mm-hmm. you that, that showed it to me. I, I was familiar with some of the more famous pieces of music from the soundtrack beforehand. Again, as we'll get into, they are somewhat iconic and synonymous with this type of film. Saw it about 20 years ago, but actually I've never listened to the soundtrack album in and of itself until researching this clash. So whilst I was very familiar with most of the tracks on it, it is technically a first listen for me. How about yourself? I've got, I'm going to tell it's exactly the same. So I've had a longer history with the film. First came across it around 96, 97. But you you know that I do have a a fondness for a a mafia film. Point of order, the word mafia is not used anywhere in this film because the Italian-American Defamation League, let's say, insisted that it not be used. And I'm (laughs) going to move on from that. Okay. Um, So, yeah, fan of an Il Cosa Nostra uh, film. (laughs) Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd heard the soundtrack lots of times from watching the film and everything, but yeah, I'd never actually sat down and listened to to it as a as a composition as a whole. Um, so that yeah, it's a f- first time for me as well. Okay, cool. There we go. Okay, the cover. Mm. Mm, so much more basic than the cover of the one the previous week. Lovely font game. I mean, it is a. F- Again, as I said last week, it is a first-class font game, isn't it? You know, we are absolutely in the Premier League of... It's the European Super League, in fact, of font <laughs> games on this on this clash on both of these albums. Again, it's the classic It's the classic image. It's a classic movie poster, though. It's that puppeteer image. Mm-hmm. You've got the name of the film with the white font against the black background. You've got a, a hand holding the strings like a marionette. That's all, that's all you need. You know you know it's The Godfather. Gotta say, I think it's the better cover of the two. Mm, I have a softer spot for the Good, the Bad and the Ugly cover because it's got that classic film poster style to it. Yeah, that, okay. So it's it's a personal I think I think it's a it's a bloody effective cover. Yeah, it is. And it's a beautiful beautiful font. It's got a beautiful simplicity to it, but yeah, I do prefer the uh, Good, the Bad and the Uglies. Fair enough, but you're wrong. okay let's go let's go so we open with the main title open parentheses the godfather waltz close parentheses Mm -hmm. yep and well we said for the main theme of the previous clash it's iconic fuck me (laughs) this this set the sound for mob films up until up until goodfellas really which you know, did something a little bit different. It sounds like a lament, possibly like a funeral or last post for the life that Michael may have had. Oh, I like that interpretation. Yeah, yeah, really good. And, you know, it develops from this simplicity um, into something else whilst retaining that key theme throughout. It's, It's a really clever piece of music. It is. So, yeah, that lone trumpet call that opens it up, it is just Again, so evocative. You can close your eyes and you can see Marlon Brando's face with the jowls, you know, and the slick back mm-hmm. hair. It is, well, it's an overused word, particularly in Album Clash. It's iconic. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you've got you've got that main motif. But then you sort of have this deep, discordant, plod that comes in and and puts you off kilter makes you think oh okay you know this isn't quite the adagio or whatever you know that 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 it first seems to be and then the waltz kicks in you got the viola first and the clarinet and the pluck strings coming in it yeah it's it's a really clever piece of music i agree and again you mm-hmm. you hear these motifs come in time and again throughout the film and we have to say again it's a long fucking film it's three hours long but it's another one that's been covered it's been aped it's been parodied so many times it is indelibly etched onto the psyche of popular culture you cannot fail to have heard this at some point 
Yeah, without question. Uh, Yeah, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So we move on to I Have But One Heart, sung by uh, Al Martino, who sings it during the film at Connie's Wedding. Yeah. So he's playing the character Johnny Fontaine, isn't he? Indeed. And it's a really traditional style ballad. I think it works fantastically well in the film for for setting that kind of time and place and everything like that. What I will say is it's not really my cup of tea musically. Which I'm guessing you're probably going to say the same, but it's done. It's done very well. Yeah, I agree. I've never really liked it. It's not. Yeah, it isn't my cup of tea. I've said the same thing. It's not my style. I don't really like crooners. That overtly Italiano style grates with me. Now, that's probably because it's been pastiched countless times. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, I agree. It serves its purpose in the film. It's very effective in that in that wedding scene. You know, here's the celebrity who owes his career to the family singing at Connie's wedding and the congregation is enraptured by his performance. It is really effective. But as a song, as a piece of music, it does nothing for me, I have to say. Mm-hmm. The song, it was written in 1945 by Johnny Farrow and Marty Symes. In 1947, two versions uh, performed extremely well uh, on the Billboard charts. So Vic Damone reached number seven with his version. That was his first ever release. And uh, a little-known singer by the name of Frank Sinatra released a version that got to number 13 later that same year. What happened to him? Uh, Not a lot. I think he faded into obscurity. It has also been recorded, amongst others, by Dean Martin. I mean, fucking hell, of course it has. (laughs) (laughs) And in all seriousness, that sound, it's the Dean Martins of the world that sort of just make me think, "Mm." you know, like, I can't help but think of films with Cher and Nicolas Cage. I'm sorry, but... Anyway, uh, yeah, I think we agree on High Foot, One Heart. Okay, so let's move on to the next uh, piece of music, which is The Pickup. And Nino wrote an original, and it's fantastically cinematic and has an inbuilt, inherent, sinister sound to it. You're constantly on edge. You're expecting some bad shit to go down throughout this piece of music because some bad shit is about to go down, really. What, so at what point in the film is this played? I can't... I, I, I should have done, and it's poor research. I haven't noted it down. When is it played? Do you know what? I can't remember myself. Is it when the various members of Vito's gang are talking about the drug deal with Salazzo? I think it is. So, so yeah, yes, I agree with what you said. That, that chord progression with the strings and the woodwind does really, yeah, it, some bad shit's about to go down. You know, some bad cats are going to get whacked. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's that little sort of jazzy piano and clarinet refrain that keeps coming in, mm-hmm. which sounds more like it belongs in a Renault Clio advert where <laughs> Nicole is sat outside a Parisian <laughs> pavement cafe and she gets a call on her mobile from Papa and... Do you, do you know what I mean? Hold that thought. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to come to. Yeah. But yeah, the, the way the way that that main string motif uh, increases in tempo and in volume does really bring an air of tension to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that something bad's going to go down. It's just a bit of an odd juxtaposition. There's, there's nothing in The Godfather that to me at least, is anywhere near jaunty enough for that piece of music to come in. No, I, I, do, I do know what you mean. It, yeah, there's, there's some interesting choices um, in ha- where they've put things on the album as well. Yeah, well, so un- unlike last week, when everything was chronological, I mean, there were big leaps in the timeline, if you like, you know, but everything was in order of how it appears in the film. That's not the case here. You are all over the place, as we'll come to in a bit, actually. Well, yeah, because because we skip, we go back mm-hmm. to uh, Connie's wedding and the piece of music uh, written by Carmine Coppola, and it is that it is a really traditional Italian um, sort of piece of music that you know I would particular I would imagine that this would be played at. That's an Italian-American wedding. Yeah, so my notes. 
I've never been to an Italian wedding. Perhaps this is exactly the sort of music that was played at Italian-American weddings, particularly back in 1946. And in fact, the fact that Carmine Coppola wrote this would suggest that that is indeed the case. But with my 50 years now, because the film came out 50 years ago, of uh, hindsight, it feels very, very on the nose. Well, I I get get your point in it being very stereotypical, but as it's been written, if it was written by an American composer, someone who wasn't from that community then, Mm -hmm. then you would say that it's a pastiche, like... The fact that it's a bit on the nose probably shows that it's actually, you know, it, it's it's effective for what it is and what it's supposed to be. No, that's fair. But there was part of me that, that kept expecting Jill Dolce to pop out and start singing Shut Up of Your Face. <laughs> that's to do with your uh, <laughs> cultural insensitivity as opposed to the authenticity well, of the music. I would say it's probably more to do with the Australian Joe Dolce's cultural insensitivity <laughs> that the song <laughs> Shut Up of Your Face exists in the first place. And also, um, like, Cornetto adverts in the 80s. (laughs) Well, exactly. Anyway, I mean, all I'll say on this is it's really effective, this music for the wedding scene. Yeah, it it works. It works. Again, it doesn't doesn't float my boat musically, but it it is perfectly um, adept for the scene. Well, I have another issue. I agree. But my issue is, so it is just incidental music from the film. And as such, I think it's a somewhat odd choice to put it on the soundtrack album. So much so that I... Is it that odd? Yeah, I think it is. Well, well I don't... It's like... No, it's, it's, it's an odd choice for the album. Okay, Dad, I'll put, your sound, I'll put your tune on the soundtrack album. Oh, Dad gets a load of royalties from the sales of the um, soundtrack album. Yeah, exactly. That's, that was, that's my issue. Um... Maybe I'm being harsh to Francis Ford and Carmine Coppola, but, you know... Well, it's not like he allowed his family to get involved in any of the other films. <laughs> well, and this one! We'll come to that. <laughs> we will, don't worry. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, we've talked about Connie's wedding for far too long, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so we will move on to The Halls of Fear, which reprises the main theme and gives it a sort of a kind of military march back in with like a kind of sinister undertoto, which again speaks to the, that element of the film, really. Yeah, so this is played in the scene where, so Don Vito's been gunned down by Salato's men because he doesn't want to get involved in the drug deal, which 18 years later, Ray Liotta would prove is the right thing. You don't get involved in drugs if you're, if you're in the, exactly. the family. Don't do it. Because then you have helicopters following you round. <laughs> Whilst you're listening to Eric Clapton. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, Don Vito's been gunned down. Michael goes to visit him in the hospital, but he finds that the guards that were put there to protect him have been sent home by the police. The hospital's deserted, pretty much. So with the help of a nurse, he moves his dad to another room so that Salazzo's assassins, when they turn up, can't get to him, basically. And I think, for me at least, this is probably the most similar to what we were talking about last week on The Good, The Bad and The Ugly and the way Henio Morricone approaches his compositions in that the tension in this scene comes from the combination of the cinematography. Mm -hmm. It's dark. All you can see is the poorly lit hallway. Yeah. With that tension that just a simple dum dumb from the strings and the piano provide it plays absolutely perfectly and the fact that you've got that yeah that main motif that main melody from the trumpet playing through it again to me you get the sense that michael is trying to care for his father but at the same time he's being watchful of the dangers that are lurking so to speak mm-hmm. and so yeah for, what struck me about this is i i found a lot of similarities between this and the the Morricone stuff we went through last week. Very much so. So we move on to Sicilian Pastoral. Yeah. And this is a really interesting piece of music. And very similar to the previous one, that it does tell the tale of this part of the film. The, you know... we're We're in Sicily now. He's had to be bundled away for his own protection. And... You've got these sinister themes that kind of under 
undercuts the music. And then as he settles into his Sicilian safe house and safe life kind of thing, it turns into something so much more beautiful with the piccolo and the accordion and the really simple guitar all coming together. And it, it, yeah, it, it does tell the story of, of how things develop for him in Sicily. So yeah, as you said, My- Michael's had to be bundled away to Sicily because, so we're shooting forward in the film by now, he, he has killed Salazzo and the police captain who broke his jaw. We really should have said spoiler alert before we started going through this. <laughs> Look, it's a 50-year-old film. <laughs> yeah, but imagine having the fucking Godfather spoiled for you by fucking us two. <laughs> us two trying to remember bits of the film. <laughs> So, Edward Norton is Tyler Durden. Bruce Willis is dead uh, anymore than we want to go through. <laughs> oh, Gwyneth Paltrow's head is in the box? Probably. Uh... <laughs> well, it could be in the box. Like, until the box is opened, it could be in all three states. <laughs> Schrodinger's head. <laughs> Excellent stuff. That's the second. That's the uh, second class running where we've had a Schrodinger's. Uh, <laughs> no, it was Heisenberg's uncertainty principle before. Oh, it was Heisenberg, wasn't Although it? Although Schrodinger's cat is a uh, light-hearted representation of said same principle, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. So yeah, Michael's been had to be bundled away to Sicily, and I agree. This tune is all about. Well, the first half of it is about how his world's been turned upside down by what's happened. You know, here he was, away from the family business, a war hero, settling down with his girlfriend before she was corrupted by Woody Allen. (laughs) (laughs) Then his dad gets shot, and all of a sudden he's been, I mean, not under much duress, it must be said, dragged into the family business. And here he finds himself thousands of miles from home but then you get the second half of it which is almost like he's happy to be settling down there do you know what i mean yeah away from it all yeah it's like he's a bit more settled in it and yeah that it's it's a nice place to be i do have to say it does so the second half of it does remind me a bit of like a stellar advert well it is it's man on des sauce jean de florette that's the music it's yeah because you've got the mandolin, you've got the accordion, you've got the harmonica in there. So yes, there is very much that thematic similarity there. It is very evocative of the old world, you know, the ancient, Mm -hmm. small, dusty, walled towns with vineyards and olive groves on the slopes below you know and yeah it so we talked last week about an advert which hadn't been very effective because i didn't know what it was and you didn't know what product (laughs) it was advertising those stellar adverts were very effective because they knew exactly what they were recreating yes but yes i know what you mean okay we move on from uh talking about stella to uh the love theme yeah so amazingly that this uh song was lyricised into English and sang on by... Andy Williams! <laughs> which reached number 34 in the US. Indeed. Which I have no interest in ever hearing. No. So it, it expands on the themes of the previous song. It has a lot more sort of melodrama about it. But Ooh, nice. Yeah, it, it is effective for what it is which is to bring those love themes into it, which, you know, are related to the first time he sees Apollonia. And... Well, no, this this is the this is one of my problems with this track ordering on the soundtrack. This, so this... Oh, no, it isn't. Like, yeah, it's... Um... This is played on the wedding night. This is what plays... Uh... Yes, it is. Sorry. They're married. She's nervously looking at him what goes on. Uh, she takes her top off and then... You know, get down tonight. <laughs> but we'll come on to the tune that plays when he first lays eyes on her. So it's all over the place in terms of temporarily. I think I feel quite a bit more fondly about this than you do. I think it's a beautiful piece of music. Hmm. I get what you say about it is like it's from a stellar advert, but you've on this you've got the lush strings come in as well. You've it's gorgeous, I think. 
And it's also synonymous with the film, I would say. It is, without question. I think... So, you know, you were, you were talking about Connie's wedding as being a bit on the nose. Yeah. I think that for me, maybe the the love theme is, it's maybe a little bit overwrought, a little bit too, it is, it is very much on the nose it is. for what it's supposed to be. It is. And I think, as I said about I Have Only One Heart, and you've said this in the past about other albums, maybe that's because we are, cursed with the knowledge of everything that came after this Mm -hmm. that this has become so iconic and so celebrated that yeah everyone then went and did their own version of it yeah it kind of ruined it a bit like you had pastiches of of the because jean de florette and manon de source they were late 70s early 80s french film starring emmanuel bayard they're fucking weird films good soundtracks though i've got to say the scores are really good so, yeah, maybe we've been a little bit tainted by that. Mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying. It is very on the nose. And, well, a, a, a reprise of this that we'll talk about in a few minutes' time is very, very on the nose. Yeah. But I, I, I think it's a lovely, lovely piece of music. I think the string arrangement, as I said, it's lush. It's gorgeous. So, yeah. Well, what I will say, so, the next, so this song, the next song, and the song after that, they they all work together as a as a piece. Mm-hmm. There there are consistent themes throughout yeah. them that speaks to the character, speaks to what's going on and the, how that relationship develops and everything like that. And we were very sort of effusive in our praise for how Morricone did that. Yes. So it, I think it would be churlish of me to to properly have a have a paddy on about <laughs> about him for Nina Rota doing it. A very fair point. Okay, so we move on to the Godfather Waltz. So utilizes the theme from the the main theme, and it you know turns it into a waltz. <laughs> you know, there's, it's as simple as that. I did kind of feel that, and maybe this is just my sort of ear on it that it kind of sounded a bit East European to me, as though they'd like thrown a couple of balalaikas in there. Yeah, maybe. It- I think it might be mandolin. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the mandolin certainly comes in later on. But I, I, I can see what you mean. There is there is a definite Hrvatska sort of element to it. Um, yeah. So that's fair. It's, I think, it, you know, you, you talked about previously, like, the old country, yes. the old the old ways, and I think it does kind of speak, speak to that. I mean, I can't decide uh, if... My use of the word Hrvatska is worthy of praise or censure for just being utterly wanky, to be honest with you. I could have just said Croat. Yeah, well, you, you just said Croatia. Yes, I did indeed, yeah. But I said it in Croatian, so fuck you. Well, there is no such language as oh, Croatian Serbo-Croat. <laughs> With that, I got to be pedantic. <laughs> Editing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I have nothing more to to say about what I think than what I previously said and what you just said. In terms of where it's played in the film, well, it's several times, actually. So it's played firstly when Vito dances with Connie at the wedding. It's also played just before the Waltz character wakes up to find the horse's head in his bed. Mm-hmm. He ate the head and gave it a bad review. <laughs> Customary Simpsons reference. I apologise for anyone of Italian descent for Tim's horrible hate crime there. No, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still like it. So there you go. That's all I've got to say. Okay, so uh, we move on to Apollonia. And it weaves in the Sicilian pastoral theme and obviously the elements that are used in the waltz and it, it it works it works really well as sort of bringing those elements together it does so i i think the finger-picked guitar part is really emotive mm-hmm. so this is uh, and again i've got problems with track ordering here this is as you will guess by the title the first time michael sets eyes on apollonia and it is love at mm-hmm. first sight you know as they say in the dialogue, he's been struck by Cupid's arrow. And you get this, that sense of love at first sight, of, of being infatuated through the the tone of this piece. It is much more gentle 
than the previous iterations of it that we've heard on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. But why is it played after the fucking wedding scene on the soundtrack album? Sort your track listing out. Yeah, it's it, it's weird. It is weird. But this is, because you've got a lot of mandolin here. Yeah. This is the one of this suite, if you like, where I thought, ooh, that's very on the nose. And again, maybe I'm thinking about Nicolas Cage and Captain Corelli. Yeah. A, a little bit there, but do you know what I mean? No, no, I, know, I do know what you mean. And I think, again, we... We have to hold our hands up and say that we have 50-odd years of music yeah. that sort of we have to take into consideration there and lots of pastiches of this and that sound. Yes. So, yeah, you know, it's it's one of them. Like you said in um, adverts for Walls Ice Cream and other such products. Exactly, or Goodfellas Pizza. <laughs> or Dolmio Pasta <laughs> Yeah, you know, the the loads of these kind of tropes are sort of musical tropes are sort of rolled out through this. Mm. Okay, so we then move on to the new Godfather. And it's a really effective piece of music, this. We have a growing a growing dread, a growing I'm gonna have to find another word for sinister, really. Unsettling. Yeah, there's there's a creeping anxiety. Nice. That comes into it. That's sort of foreboding and foreshadowing what's coming. What's coming next? Really, very much so. So here I have a problem with the film itself. So this is first played when Michael returns to America after Apollonia has been killed in a car bomb, which was intended for Michael, and it's played several times thereafter as well as as the rest of the story develops. Mm-hmm. So here's my problem with the edit of the film. So, his new bride, whom 20 minutes ago we saw him fall madly in love with on first sight. She gets blown up, assassinated in a car bomb that was intended for him because he had been found in Sicily and betrayed by one of his guards. And so his reaction to this is not to grieve and to go further into hiding. No, 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 no. I'm going to go straight back to New York... My wife has died, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start harassing my ex-girlfriend, who I abandoned years ago without even saying goodbye. I'm sorry, Al Pacino, but you may be a don, but that's just fucking sleazy, that is, mate. I'm not having it. <laughs> Grief does funny things. <laughs> what makes my, it makes Al Pacino horny from the looks of things? Horny and stalkerish. <laughs> No, seriously, no, the air, it, it does have that. Well, what I've said, it's gently mournful the way it starts. Mm-hmm. But again, it builds into quite a somber adagio, but ends with a real sense of foreboding. There you go. That's a better word than sinister, foreboding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because again, you've got that sort of constant deep piano chord that comes in in the same way as it was in the Halls of Fear. So again, you've got these repeating gentle motifs that are quite subtle when they're used but when they are synchronised with what's going on in the film, are very, very effective. Very much so. Okay, so... I have one issue with this, with the title of this track, I was sorry, because the new Godfather, just, it reminds me... Uh, well, that's what a, a terrible straight-to-DVD remake of The Godfather would have been called. <laughs> so, do you know what I did? The Godfather, the new class. I did not think that's where you were going. Um, I okay. I assumed you were going to make some kind of reference to the uh, WWF wrestler, The Godfather. <laughs> Charles Wright. <laughs> Papa Shango. <laughs> no, no. No, more like the new Coke. But anyway, that's just me. Um, so we shall move on from that to the baptism. And utilizing the sound of a church organ obviously links it with the with the scene and and everything and obviously the montage and everything and i thought it was a really interesting choice because like so yes obviously a church organ links it with the baptism and everything but what it brought to mind for me was you know the um you see the music with for the old sort of silent silent dracula films Nosferatu, etc. Yeah, yeah. So it gave it that um, sort of a horror inflection for the horrific acts that are sort of linked with the baptism and stuff. Definitely and upsettingly <laughs> for me. I also therefore got 
the Devil's Advocate flashbacks mm-hmm. because of Al Pacino and that malevolent look in his eyes at the at the pulpit. But you're right. I think it's fucking magnificent, this. Because, mm-hmm. again, it's actually playing the same motifs from the main theme. Yeah. But with, like you said, the church organ. And that church organ, it, it is the harbinger of doom. So you do have that great juxtaposition between the bringing new life into the world, the baptism of, of new life, with, well, the, the heads of the five families at this point are being assassinated, are being taken out you know, killed in cold blood, one by one by one. And it's a fucking brilliant scene. It, it, it's mm-hmm. the best scene in any of these three films, as far as I'm concerned, because of that. And I think the score is absolutely integral to that. And I think the fact that within this whole thing, he also orders the killing of his brother-in-law, who, let's be honest, is a shit and fucking deserves it, because A, he beats his sister, and B, is uh, the person that, that sells out Sonny, so he fucking deserves it, but it's so fucking cold, the way that he does that, and then just flat out lies to Kay. Yeah. Right, it's just, God, that's cold. Well, and and it's all, and obviously it's all linked with um, the rights of, of baptism as well, yes. so do you cast cast Satan aside? And mm-hmm. he's saying yes, whilst these evil acts that he's ordered are going on. It, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. it's a re- it's it's brilliantly done. It is brilliantly done. So, a uh, little pop quiz, Kevin. Do you know who the baby is that is being baptised in this scene? Is it uh, Sophia? It is Sophia Coppola being baptised. And uh, that is, without doubt, her most convincing contribution to the Godfather saga. <laughs> oh, dear, yeah. Excellent on one side of the camera only, unfortunately. Very much so. <laughs> Okay. Do you have anything more on the baptism? I do not. Okay. So we then end with the Godfather finale. So for me, the beauty of the opening is like the calm after the storm. Oh, yeah. And then it reprises the main theme to underline Michael's ascension to being the Godfather. And obviously, it's in, it becomes increasingly grand, and that underlines that he is... He is the number one. He is the boss. No, absolutely. So if you wanted to be trite, you'd say, oh, it's a medley, which it is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the end credits piece of music. It's a medley. It it brings together all of these motifs that you've talked about as as playing at various points through these various characters' lives into one piece. But that is to grossly oversimplify matters. I think the way that the love theme is played with those swelling strings gives it that portents. Mm-hmm. It's gone beyond a love theme. It's It's got a, I don't know, a darkness to it, if you like, that, yeah, talks about Michael's ascension to the throne. But then you have the main refrain from the Godfather Waltz comes back in, but this time it's not with a trumpet. It's with a beautifully beautifully played violin part mm-hmm. it's absolutely heart-wrenching because it's almost evoking the tragedy if you like of what michael's life could have been versus what it actually became but then again you get the crescendo with massive strings again and brilliant choral vocals to play you out i think it's a magnificent way to end the film actually i agree okay and we are done we are so um in terms of how it's uh, how it's been received um so at the time and subsequently you know it has been almost universally praised um so united press international's william d laffler uh, wrote that the main title was a haunting piece of music which generates nostalgic longing for things past and a foreboding underlying theme yeah, which, you know, is true. Yes. Um, Harry Horn of the um, Tennessean described Rota's score as baleful, but felt it kept with the pace of the movie as well. Baleful? That seems unnecessarily reductive, but okay. In a more contemporary uh, review, Zach Kurd of All Music uh, said it's a dark, looming and elegant soundtrack. I've got a bit more from that, if I may. Yeah, sure. 
So yeah, uh, he goes on to say the soundtrack's main title is a classical recording and establishes a theme for the rest of the score. The Halls of Fear develops the theme even further by adding a dark, jazzy slant to it. The standout cut is the Godfather finale. This is where the theme becomes undeniable and simply striking. Which, which is, you know, what what we said, really. It is indeed. And, I mean, I don't have a huge amount on sort of the legacy of the film. Or, well, the legacy of the soundtrack. I mean, the legacy of the film is basically set the template for Mafia films, as I said, pretty much up until Goodfellas and Martin Scorsese changed the... Well, that's an int- so I, I would argue that even beyond that... Uh, not just not just mafia films. Uh, so take the Sopranos, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I actually think that what the Sopranos does is blends the styles of Scorsese, yes, with the pathos of Coppola into some of the most compelling television you're ever going to watch. Actually, uh, and we're not here to talk about the Sopranos, but whilst stylistically what Scorsese was doing was very different to what Coppola had been doing with the Godfather saga at their heart the stories come from the same place I mean literally Sicily but you know what I mean yeah they are stories about anti-heroes they are stories about evil men doing evil things yet they are told in such a way as to make you root for them yeah, uh, so I think I think you're right. I think the so as as you said, like stylistically, Goodfellas changed the approach, but there's there's kind of this this much more traditional mafia story style that's represented by The Godfather, and then a more kind of punk sensibility, if you like, like that's a bit of a lazy shorthand. Uh, it is. I can see what you're saying. It's, it's somewhat more anarchic, somewhat yes. more avant-garde. I I get completely what you're saying. Yeah. And as you, I think that I think you you're absolutely right. That I mean, you know that I think The Sopranos is possibly one of the greatest pieces of television that's that's ever been created, and um, it managed to meld both these styles together in an incredibly effective way. And it's not as good as joint account. <laughs> May to December. Um, oh, fucking hell. Wow. A series that ran for a bizarrely long time. Well, it's BBC One comedies. What, what can we say? Well, this is like, so we've mentioned so many of these titles in passing, but there was a real obsession in the late 80s and through the 90s on the BBC of making sitcoms that played to white conservative Middle England. You know, (laughs) these are middle-class people doing middle-class things, and aren't they funny? And I'm sorry, but the answer is objectively, emphatically no. These people aren't funny. There is nothing entertaining about these people's lives. 2.4 children. What the fuck was that all about? Right, Tim, like... (laughs) We could we could talk about we could have a whole pod about about this because I'm not even I'm not even getting on to um, so you're talking about comedies like what about shit like Howard's Way <laughs> a drama about series a about the fucking yacht club yeah absolutely so yeah <laughs> uh, this week on Rotary Club Miami <laughs> I mean that's just it fucking. The US were producing Miami Vice. We had the fucking Howard's Way and Love Joy. Love Joy. A rogue oh. antiques dealer. A rogue antiques dealer in Norfolk. <laughs> oh dear. Sorry. Sorry, we know what the uh, another Twitter clip's gonna be. The Sopranos was good. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, all that chat about the Sopranos and TV has just brought something else into my mind as well. Succession, fuck all to do with crime syndicates and the old country and that. But if you, and I know you haven't yet seen Succession, mm-hmm. Kev, it's fucking brilliant. You've got to watch it. Like, it takes so much from the Godfather trilogy in the way it is presented in the lives of these characters, in, in the way it makes you root for these flawed 
and corrupt people. Mm-hmm. So it's it, we're talking about legacy. My point is that the legacy of The Godfather, we're talking about the films more than the music here, but I do think they're somewhat intertwined. It spreads out much more widely than just mafia films. Oh yeah, with, without question. And as as we like, I was like we've we've mentioned that the musical representation of Italy in yeah. sort of popular culture mm-hmm. has been massively, massively influenced by this. Yes, and so it it is. Even though, funnily enough, the majority of the film is not actually about being in Italy, <laughs> it still <laughs> is sort of intrinsically linked. No, it is very much so. And I think, well, I, I don't think I've anything more productive that I can add to proceedings uh, than what you've just said. So, yeah, I suggest we move on. Okay, so, best song, worst song. All right, I, I'm going to do worst song first. So, for, I would, for both of these, the choice, it, to me at least, is is more obvious than last week. The worst song is I Have But One Heart. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. It serves its purpose in the film, but as a piece of music, I don't like it. And the best song is the Godfather finale. I, I agree with the guy that did the review on all music. It does bring together all of the key motifs that have played throughout the film into a incredibly moving and incredibly powerful finale. So that's my best song. How about you? Okay. And, well... I've I have nothing to disagree with there. That <laughs> you have picked you have picked the worst song and the best song. They they are exactly my choices and exactly for those reasons. Okay, brilliant stuff. Oh, well, we should probably get down to scoring then, Kev. We are we are all done. So yeah, it's um, as is traditionally. It was your choice, so you open and finish. Right. Okay. So the good, the bad, and the ugly. It will come as absolutely no surprise to anyone that listened to last week's show that I am something of a fan of Ennio Morricone's work and in particular his work on the Dollars trilogy. And I think that The Good, The Bad and The Ugly is the pinnacle of that, as is the film for that matter, but that's a separate discussion. What we could have got into if we'd gone through the re-release expanded version of the soundtrack is how influential Morricone was on the likes of John Williams in particular in some of the motifs and some of the the ways that incidental background music is used actually to really good effect in moving a story along. So there's a huge influence there which again as we were just talking about with The Godfather extends far beyond westerns. I think Morricone was a pioneer and arguably the best there has ever been in creating score that could be played in a silent movie, actually, that doesn't need any dialogue because it tells you everything Mm -hmm. you need to know about what's going on. As we said when we went through the trio in in, in particular. Okay, I'm going to cut to the chase. There's not a bad tune on it. I think the whole thing is absolutely wonderful. I'm going to give it 10 out of 10, Kev. I think it's perfect. So that's all she wrote for me. 10 out of 10. How about you? Wow. So it's it's a wonderful, wonderful album. I think the music is perfectly pitched. It tells the story of, of the film in sonic form. Mm-hmm. Um, I can picture all the scenes through that music and that score. And it has some of the most iconic and important pieces of film score that have been hugely influential to lots of film composers, to directors. You know, the shadow of this music, it's cast large over tons of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was struggling to find anything that I didn't like about it. So I'm going to come down. Come on. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to. There's so much beauty and so much perfection on there. I I think this is going to be our first ever double ten. Get in. It is right. Well done. Well, they uh, excellent. Good stuff. Okay, so well, we can't have a winner because I will not allow any score higher than ten out of ten, and I'm sure neither would you. Norther? 
And I'm sure neither would you. No. So can we have a draw? I mean, it's a tough ask. But Kev, what are you going to give to The Godfather? So there are some real high moments on this soundtrack. The Godfather finale, as we said, is a stunning piece of music that we talked about sort of the themes of the Sicilian suite. And whilst there's there's some slightly saccharine moments to it, that it's also really effective as a composition for the for the film. And you know, there's the Halls of Fear, I think, is is a really effective meditation on on fear and, and how it how it creeps up on you. But, you know, there's bits on it that I don't like. So, unfortunately, no matter what happens here, we ain't getting a draw. <laughs> so, but, you know, there's a lot here that's uh, to give credit to it. And it is incredibly iconic. So I'm going to come down with a seven. I think, that, I think that's fair. Okay. So, well, what I give it is incidental. It ain't getting 10. <laughs> so I'll tell you that. For the reasons that you've just explained, it ain't getting 10. But for the record, what am I going to come down with for the Godfather? Well, yeah, I agree with what you said. There are some, there are some incredible moments on here, and some incredibly iconic moments on here. I think the way that Nino Rota again emphasises the suspense, where that is what needs to be emphasised. The way he highlights the emotion, the love where that is at the centrepiece of, of what's going on, is really clever. And to a large degree, there is a lot more variety, tonally and emotionally, in what's going on on the Godfather soundtrack than there was on The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Not entirely, but to a large degree. That said, yes, there are... Well, there's a song on there that I don't like, and there's some incidental music on there that I think is unnecessary on the album itself. And as I highlighted a number of times, I, and it might be my personal gripe that is irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, but I have issues with track order because you're moving all over the place in terms of what happens in the film. And I like the way that the good, the bad and the ugly takes you through, as you said, perfectly. You can envisage the film, the scenes, as the soundtrack progresses. And that enhances my enjoyment in a way that I don't get on this album. So no, it ain't getting a 10. I am going to be kinder than you, however. I think it's very much deserving of an 8 out of 10. Uh, so that's where I'm going to come down. So it doesn't win. And 15 out of 20 is, is a very respectable score. But it ain't Morricone. It ain't the good, no. the bad and the ugly. And so... I'm sorry, guys, but this week it's not even close. No. Um, and a deserved victor. And as you said, our first ever perfect score and one that it's going to take some... Well, it won't ever be beaten. As I said, I'm not going to... I wonder if we'll ever have an album that we both agree is a 10 out of 10 again. I, I don't know, but I think it's very, very unlikely. It's going to have to be something very good because there's some absolute belters that have never got the double 10. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, on that note, congratulations to Ennio Morricone and to the soundtrack to The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. You have won this edition of Album Clash uh, and you should feel very proud of yourselves for doing so. You may not have been nominated for enough awards when your soundtrack was released, but we certainly appreciate everything you did. So thank you. Okay. And on that, I think we have something of an announcement to make, don't we, Kev? Yes. So um... so this is the point in the show that we would usually say what we're doing next on Album Clash. And I suppose in a way we are doing the same, but anyway, sorry, over to you. So yeah, we so we will close our our movie soundtrack season um and we will have a brief hiatus nothing nothing serious it's just that you know we decided to have a have a little break and be able to come back with i suppose album clash 2 uh european gigolo <laughs> i mean and who can wait for such a prospect exactly uh 
Well, as I said, it's nothing serious. Uh, so, Jeff Goldblum once famously said, life finds a way. I'm going to say, life gets in the way. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing serious. We will we will be back, but we're just going to take a, a, short, a short break to, you know. Basically, we're both dead busy. I've just started a new job. Kev's got stuff going on in terms of his work and stuff as well. That's all it is. Yeah, we will be back. In the meantime, uh, I'm going to try and put out some uh, some bonus content uh, on various things if I can think of stuff that might interest you that will get some interest and some involvement. It is definitely not the end of Album Clash. We'll be back in a few weeks' time, basically. So yeah, sorry, I guess we'll say. Yeah, so it's it's only going to be a short break from your um, your favourite pod uh ramblers if we are your favorite pod ramblers we may we may not even make the top 10 but you know thank you for downloading you know (laughs) to the six of you who in 2021 listened to album clash more than any other podcast then well it's a chance for you to get out into the world a little bit and and realize that you shouldn't be listening to us two reprobates (laughs) but yeah thank you thank you all for listening and we we will be back and we'll be back you know it, it well i to quote Bono, we've just got to go away and dream it all up again. I can't, but I can't believe you quoted Bono. I mean, we, we are emphatically not going to dream it all up again. When it comes back, it's going to be the same. I can't be asked. We've just said we're dead busy. I can't be asked thinking of new features and new formats. Bollocks to that. It's going to be the same old shit you've been listening to for the last year. It's just going to be in a few weeks' time. Soz. Yeah, we'll, we'll just um, have an opportunity to remember some some different uh, 1980s references. <laughs> Quite so. Uh, so, yeah, just well, keep an eye on the socials. Uh, if any bonus content is coming out, we'll let you know what it's going to be on there. And we will, of course, brief you on our return when it happens. As I say, it's not going to be ages. It's going to be a few weeks, but, you know, yeah. give us a bit of time. But anyway, Kev, tell people how they can keep alongside the uh, return of Album Clash in the future in the meantime. So, whilst on Twitter, you might come across various views. And, you know, there's lots of idiotic things that um, people put on Twitter, lots of idiotic things that people people say. Um, we may have reached the Nadir from Nadine. So I don't know whether you you will have seen it, but I will quote uh, Nadine Dorry's tweet from today. I'm fed up of the loony left moaning about the rising demand for food banks. Every family needs to live within their means. Food doesn't grow on trees. And I'm just going to leave that there. So according to the culture secretary of this country, food does not grow on trees. (laughs) So if you want to seek out other views about food potentially (laughs) growing on trees, you know, like apples and stuff. All I'm going to say is at least it's not the agriculture secretary. Well, yeah. Jesus. So whilst whilst uh, seeking out uh, similar well thought out views, you could check out our Twitter at Clash Album. If you like carefully curated quality content, you can go to our Insta at Clash Album. And given that me and Tim are getting on in years, um, you could sign us up for a Stannis stair lift um, <laughs> via our email address is albumclash at gmail.com. No idea if Thora Heard's involved. <laughs> Wow. Please sign me up for Stan the Stairlift. I've got so many stairs in my house. Like That sounds like fucking heaven as far as I'm concerned. Please, I want one. I don't want to stand a stairlift because, like, well, we're, we're both kids of the 80s, so, you know, I've seen gremlins. <laughs> That's why I want one. How much fun does that look like? Uh, well, anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please don't get downheartened. I'm sure none of you are in the slightest bit downheartened. We'll be back in a few weeks, and uh, by the time we get back, you'll wish we'd never come back at all. (laughs) (laughs) In the meantime, well, you've got a few weeks now. We have no plans for a new season. It could be anything. So, what do you want us to cover? What seasons? What types of things do you want us to go through on Album Class? You have a chance now to shape the future of the show. You're not going to because you're a bunch of lazy bastards. That's fine. So are we. That's why we can't be asked doing this for the next month or so. <laughs> well, 
I would usually at this point say what we're doing next time, but we don't know at this point. So all I'll say is, for the time being, farewell. It is very much au revoir, adieu. It is not goodbye. We'll see you soon, guys. I have been Tim. And to quote Jerry Springer, take care of yourself and each other. (laughs) Which I always found quite sinister, actually. Yeah. Well, (laughs) given that he was uh, binned off from being a mayor of American City for being a bit handsy. Exactly. Anyway, moving swiftly on from that, we'll be back once we've got over that lawsuit with Jerry Springer. (laughs) Take care, guys. We will see you soon. Absolutely. Yeah,